0: You are listening to the SDSU Football Podcast, presented by the East Village Times, with your hosts Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the SDSU Football Podcast. I am Andre Hagverdian, and I'm joined by Paul Garrison. We've got another great episode for you guys today with two interviews with uh, one current Aztec and one former Aztec. So let's get right to it. Our first special guest is Ryan Lindley, a local San Diego product who started at quarterback for San Diego State from two thousand and eight to two thousand and eleven. Uh, He completed 961 passes for 12,690 yards and 90 touchdowns. Lindley led the Aztecs to a victory in the 2010 Poinsettia Bowl, their first bowl game in 12 years. Lindley was drafted by the Arizona Cardinals in the sixth round of the 2012 NFL draft and even started a 2015 playoff game for them in a loss to the Carolina Panthers. After bouncing around a few different NFL teams, and one year in the CFL, Lindley moved on to coaching. After brief stints with the Cleveland Browns and Utah of the Pac-12 Conference, he joined Mississippi State in 2021 as a senior defensive analyst. We want to welcome Ryan Lindley to the podcast. How are you doing today, Ryan? Good, good. thanks for having me on. It's been
1: fun uh, watching you guys build this thing up, and uh, I get to, I get to catch everything from afar from what you guys are doing.
0: Yeah, we appreciate that. It's definitely been a fun ride. You, you're basically, you've been the leader in every passing statistic at San Diego state. Uh, you started an NFL playoff game at quarterback. Uh, you were a running back and quarterback coach at the Browns offensive analyst at Utah, but now you're a defensive coach at Mississippi state. Why the switch to defense?
1: You know, I, I came back and was a GA for a short period of time at San Diego state uh, on defense and coach long, you know, I, I, I just wanted to get into coaching and he gave me that great opportunity and uh you know, the, the relationship I built while I was there, uh was Zach Garnett specifically as our defensive coordinator um at the time at San Diego State. And he was actually a GA going all the way back to my playing days. So that was where our relationship kind of started. And uh, you know, I kinda of realized pretty quickly that not too many people get to uh get to see the inside and see behind the curtain of of Coach Long's vaunted three three five defense. So, you know, being being a guy with a limited amount of experience there, I think you uh you find yourself amongst a, amongst an exclusive group. So I like to say I'm, I'm just kind of the guy giving some of the offensive secrets down here and giving that perspective at Mississippi State. But along the way, I'm going to pick up as much as I can from from the really smart guys I've been around down here, including uh, including Coach Arnett.
0: Do you, what are some of your career, uh, future career goals? Do you see yourself switching back to the offense at any point? You no,
1: know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, the way I've looked at it really with, with, my my coaching journey has been it's been pretty unreal I mean not something that uh super precedented, and it's it's been a wild ride so I'm kind of really just taking it as it goes you know I think everybody's got aspirations and you you know there's there's dream jobs that you have but I think if uh if you aren't focused on the job you got right now and the the title that's in front of you then you're not gonna you're not gonna find a way to to make it wherever you want to go so my, my biggest thing's been kind of hey I'm where my feet are at right now and really enjoy what I'm doing and we'll see what uh good lord's got next for us.
2: Now since you've uh left state as a player, um you've gained a ton of knowledge about football, about life. Um have you have you figured out what a legal stemming is? <laughs> well, we're going all the
1: way back, gosh dang it. It's been uh We're going 12 years, maybe (laughs) 11, 12 years to, uh, to bring that back. I don't think anyone's figured out what it is in that time and no one's called it, I think in that time either. So you you don't have to, you don't have to worry about a definition when it, when it doesn't, doesn't get called in a game, but, uh, gosh, dang, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a funny story to look back on that night. I definitely wasn't happy about it, but, uh, now looking back, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just kind of a one piece in the, in the wild ride that I've had in my football journey.
2: Yeah, for uh, those of you young Aztec fans who may not know what we're talking about, uh, Ryan's last game as an Aztec, it was storybook. Set up perfectly, last-minute drive to get a one-point lead, and the defense holds them. They're going to have to attempt a field goal from, I think, the 58, and this weird call that no one has ever heard of before that or since, illegal stemming, and it allows them to get five yards closer, and credit to the field goal kicker for uh, Louisiana. He made it, but there's no way that kick's going through from five yards further back. And um, it's still one of those great mysteries and always brings a smile to anybody on the face of the, the team who played back then. But um, you know, Ryan, you've worked with some pretty big personalities uh, during your coaching days. Could, could you uh, tell us just about some of them? Like what's Mike Leach like, really? <laughs> and you know what?
1: I mean, coach, coach Leach is, is, is really awesome. I mean, I I've really enjoyed uh, a lot of times and maybe I've kind of gotten a, a, uh, a niche you know in with him you know I mean he's a guy obviously so busy is such a great offensive mind that he's you know a lot of times working with that and one of the things I mean we kind of work separately on the defense from them and even even hold different hours a lot of times but uh, I think he knows I'm kind of the uh, the offensive guy working on the dark side so to speak so occasionally he'll pull me aside and and, uh, just just talk shop talk ball talk history I mean the guy really is you know there are a lot of people this, this term probably gets thrown out on too much of the most interesting man in the world but coach leach is in the running for that no doubt
2: uh what about Baker Mayfield?
1: Oh man you know what I, I just say this he's he's one of the most passionate competitive guys I've ever been around and as a young coach that was difficult at times to be honest with you you know I mean you you uh I used to call it, I used to call him the Mustang sometimes you know it, and you you want you needed to know when to rein him in, but there's also times you just gotta let that guy roll, you know, let him let him run wild because that's what he does best. And I'll be I'll be really interested. I mean, I've, I've maintained a relationship with with him since then, and I'm really hoping he lands on his feet in a good spot. And I know he well. It's just a matter of time. But gosh dang, whoever whoever gets him next, just know that's gonna be a that's gonna be a guy rip roaring ready
2: to go and and win a lot of games for somebody. And then when you reflect back on your time at state, what, what are just some moments that you take pride in? it's, it's tough to pick one.
1: I think kind of the the whole process, you know, for at least myself individually there. Like, I just, I think I'm a, I'm so fortunate, you know, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a victim, I, not a victim, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a beneficiary of circumstance and time, you know, I think and push that, push that forward or back a couple of years, you know, and I think my situation there is completely different. You know, I, 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 uh, I was lucky enough and source to like really work my way through a really tough season as a young player, really two tough seasons as a young player and had coaches that trusted me enough to let me fail, to be honest with you, which, which you look at now. I mean, I, I don't think guys get that opportunity as much as, as much as they have in the past. And I'm really fortunate, you know, there's a lot of times where, and I even remember some phone conversation or some conversations on the field of, Hey, if you don't get it together on this drive, you know, it's we're, we'll, we'll get somebody else in there and everybody deals with that. And I think it's, it's even gotten whether for coaches, for players, it's gotten more intense and more cutthroat. Uh, the the leash is shorter for everybody. So, uh, you know, getting back to your question, I really the the 2010 2011 seasons obviously were where it came together for all the Aztec fans, and we finally got bowling, and and that thing's been rolling ever since then. So, obviously, that's probably the most uh, the the culmination of it all. But you know, the, the journey along the way was something special for everybody involved there.
0: Yeah, those those years you mentioned were you know. A lot of Aztec fans look back on those years with a potent offense, right? The passing game. You had Ronnie Hillman next to you. You had uh, Vincent Brown. Uh, how much do you keep in contact with those guys um, as you kind of have have moved on in NFL and on your coaching career?
1: Yeah, I mean, I keep up with some more than others, um, but I think, yeah, I mean, it was it was a special time, and really, I said, you know, I, I guess it's it's all relative, you know. I mean, it's really been RBU, you know, for the last ten years. But I think I think we were. I mean, we talked about the passing attack. We were balanced. You know, we did have some great receivers and and Vincent, Demarco Sampson, and Gavin Escobar, as you know. But I mean, yeah, Ronnie Hillman. You know, you had you had uh, Adam William was in the backfield as a young player for a time there. Walter Casey was a phenomenal player, which a lot of a lot of New Aztec fans just remember. Demonte, his brother, who's had a ton of success in the NFL. But you know, Demonte's never San Diego State if Walter wasn't playing before him. You know, and Walter was Walter was the the, you know, the ultimate Aztec, you know, like, uh, you know, I know we talked about Doug a while back, but like Walter would be one of those guys in, in Doug's mold of, man, you know I mean? Anything you asked him to do was one of the toughest guys on the team. But just just looking back on those guys, that's why I say, like, we just had, we had a really complete group. And obviously I had a good group of five to six guys up in front of me, protecting me all the time. So we, uh we just had a really, we just had a really good group that all came together at the right time. And obviously put some W's on the, on the uh, stat sheet.
0: The well, state now runs, a, you know, an RPO heavy offense um, from a defensive perspective. What makes that offense so difficult to, to defend against?
1: Yeah, but, you know, I think the game the game's moved to uh, I mean, every everything you just want to have multiplicity to what you do. You know, and Coach Hecklinski was our running backs coach uh, the first time, you know, Brady Hoke volume one. And uh, he's done a heck of a job, you know, and I, I really enjoyed keeping in touch with him and what he's doing and the direction he's taking the program. And it's going to be really fun to see what they do this year with Braxton. Um, and it's, it's just, it's just really cool to see because he's not taking the foot off the gas. You know I mean? You're still going to be, you're still going to be grinding it out and be physical, but the RPO game is just something, you know, that's become universal and you really just need to keep a defense on their toes. And it's all about, it's all about space. You know, it's, it's all about creating space with how you align different people you put in conflict and yeah, on defense, it's just tough. You know, you can't just, you can't just sell out on read keys and play the run or play the pass, depending on, you know whatever guys are doing up front, you got to uh, you got to kind of read it all the way through. You got to you got to play, uh, you got to play and defend all uh, all 53 and a half uh, or 53 and 30 yards width, and you got you to gotta defend the whole field.
0: Yeah, I mean, just expounding on that, obviously, it's a quarterback that wants to read that linebacker, that safety, seeing whether they're going to pump a bite on the run and, and pass. Uh, is there a specific strategy or specific plays that the defense kind of uses to counter? Uh, or to maybe trick the quarterback into thinking uh, that they're going to bite when they're not really going to bite.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the biggest thing that you can do is is at least the tough thing looking back to how you teach the quarterback. Right? Is the toughest thing is is when when reads change. You know, usually it's a it's not necessarily it's really a spot on the field, not necessarily a specific player that you're reading in the RPO game a lot of times. So if defenses can move, you know, just like offense in motion, if defenses can move and rotate safeties and bump linebackers and different stuff like that just like a motion or a shift affects the defense the defense moving around like that's going to affect a, a quarterback reading you know their read key and rpo so I, I think that's really the way you do it the other thing usually you know whether you, whether you try to disguise man or zone that can help some and you know it's really it's the cat and mouse game of, of, of football you know and it's uh it's it's funny you know like uh, brian site was my quarterback coach he used to always say you know he's like Man, back in my day, you know, it was it was it was single high. It was one safety or two safeties, you know, and like from there, it was pretty simple on what they were going to bring in. You know, the game was the game was just so much simpler. I even look back to when I was playing, you know, and there was an aspect of that with a few derivatives, but where the games moved, you know, and I think just with technology, look at the analytics are being used. Um, and really the sizes of people's staffs, that's one of the big thing. I mean, I'm a, I'm a beneficiary of it right now. You know, I I don't think we ever had a senior defensive analyst at San Diego State while I was there, you know, and here I am, that's the position I'm in. So it's, it's, uh, with the amount of people that work, you know, on this thing and spend so much time on it, it's only going to get better. You know, people are only going to get smarter and, and more detailed on what they do.
2: So the last technical question about the RPO, man, um, even, you know, you said it's universal, but people don't run it like a hundred percent of the time, right. It's a, it's a package. It's a piece of what they do. So having to come in and like prepare for those things, how does that influence like, I guess the preparation for the rest of the kind of offense that teams are running? Yeah. I mean, it, it's
1: uh, you, you just, you just know when teams, you know, like you said, it's teams have different ratios for, for the amount that they're doing it. So you kind of take that into account and, you know, it's like, it's like anything, it's like you are on offense, you know, you prepare for, for tendencies that teams have, and you try to work from there. But, you know, I, I think that one of the great things that, you know, Coach Long done and, and Coach Arnett prescribes that as well is, you know, a lot of times let's, let's not, let's not cloud the guy's minds, you know, because if you're thinking slower, you're going to play slower. So I think one of the great things you've seen from, from the defenses over the years in this system is guys just play fast pass and they fly to the football, you know, so we're, well, our biggest thing is, you know, we're going to, we're going to read our keys. We're going to react. But if we can get 11 hats to the ball, usually good they good things happen and in, uh, in good time.
2: So fairly or not, man, you you are always compared to Kevin O'Connell, right? um You know, both San Diego QBs started early at SDSU, played in the NFL, now coaches. Yeah. Just, just, I mean, what do you think about just like his media, you know, just his rise um, in the coaching ranks, and obviously getting ahead of coaching job, um, just reflect on on all of that success that uh, Kevin's had.
1: No, I mean I I mean really like I've I've in in a lot of ways since I was a junior in high school, you know I've, I've looked up to Kevin. You know at the, at the time wasn't really recruited by San Diego State. Um, and when you talk to Kevin, like Kevin wasn't you know the the biggest recruit in this class. You know so I I kind of took the same approach of. You know, but when I did get the San Diego State offer, you know, I was I was all in. I wanted to be an Aztec. wanted to be a hometown guy just like Kevin was. And, you know, I had the opportunity to redshirt and sit behind him as his backup for a year and, you know, watch the way he he approached the game. And he was, you know, I knew then he was so cerebral, such a smart guy, gosh, extremely far more talented than I was. You know, I used to look back and him and, uh, you know, most people remember Darren Bougie was another guy. And these two guys were Greek gods, you know, chiseled in stone. And I came in just, you know, and i'm a i'm a bit i was a big kid too but it was like i was sure. 6'3 190 looking at these guys like gosh dang you know i'm, I'm kind of let me put a sweatshirt on so I don't like uh, these uh but but you know I, I always did look up to kevin you know and, and he's he's had a he's had a heck of a run and obviously you know reaching you know a, a, not a pinnacle but you know a definite definite uh peak of sorts in his in his career and it's gonna be awesome to see how he can do that and and go on. And really, I mean, to expound on that, like even how I got into coaching, you know, I talked to Kevin as he was transitioning in his career, really, we had similar interests of, he was doing some broadcasting, some different stuff like that. I, I'd looked into that. Then he kind of got into the QB QB coaching game, which kind of is what I decided to do as well. You know, so it's been a lot of ways I've, I've kind of tried to follow in his footsteps and obviously it's uh, it's worked out pretty well for him. So I should, uh, I should probably keep prescribing to that, uh, to that playbook he's throwing out there.
2: No doubt. I think, um, Talking about Darren Muji, I think there's um, there's some old Aztec fans who still have that cutout of him working out with Donovan McNabb with his shirt off, and Donovan oh, yeah. McNabb still got that gut, you know. And everyone's just like, "This is the guy. This is the guy." There's this is as good as it's going to get. And obviously, you know, switch positions, but went on to the NFL, and that's an incredibly talented room that you were a part of. No, no doubt. And I was saying
1: to, to, to give Darren a shout out. You know, I mean, he's he's the he's the assistant general manager of the Broncos right, right now. Right. He's on he's on a uh, he's on a meteoric rise himself. So. I'm sure. I'm sure that's the name to, to remember because he'll be coming up. Uh, he'll be coming up for for some big times uh, jobs here soon.
0: You mentioned earlier Zach Arnett was a grad assistant in your senior season. Uh, now he's worked his way to an SEC defensive coordinator. What kind of coach is he, and what have you learned and taken from him so far?
1: It's it's really cool to see. Um, I mean, he played for Coach Long in Mexico, and you know the the things that he takes from from Coach Long. And, and I really think like he's he's a, he's a guy that uh he's tenacious in everything he does I mean he's really really sharp or really like there's there's times you know that that I look at the stuff that he does and I just wonder you know I mean I don't think you need my offensive thoughts clouding your mind you know I think you got a good enough idea what's going on because he's he's really I mean he played in the system he worked for for coach long for such a long time at San Diego State he's just you know it's second nature to him you know and there's there's stuff that you know everybody else that we're still picking up on and, and he's just you know it's 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 almost a, it's a beautiful mind to see him work sometimes so it's it's really cool to see Zach and how he can motivate guys because like I said everything that that coach Long was ever about and everything that a lot of things that Zach's about are the same of that hey, we need to we need to fly to the football we need to play with fanatical effort and, and and Zach really gets our guys to do that you know and that's why I say there's some things that you know we just we just stick to that are that are foundational pieces of football and. Uh, I think I think Zach does a good job of not getting lost in the weeds and sticking to that stuff.
0: Can you tell us, you know, you mentioned earlier a senior defensive analyst, not every not every team has that. What does your day-to-day job look like as a senior defensive analyst?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's uh like you're you're off the field, you know. So I can't I can't technically I'm not on the road recruiting right now, like like most of our coaches are. And um, so you know, you're you're at you're at home evaluating, or you know, you're kind of in the office holding down the forward you know, a lot of things you do are, are strictly, you know, whether it's, whether it's opponent scout and that's really for me, you know, I mean, I'm a former offensive guy, so it's a lot of it. I'm just, I'm just looking at what opponents are doing on offense, see if we can, we can steal be find some tendencies and kind of keeping my offensive hat on from that perspective and, you know, helping out where I can in a position room here or there. So it's, it's, uh, it's really kind of, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, the longer I stick there, you know, a lot of guys keep juggling me. I'm going to stick on the dark side and stay on defense. But, uh, you know, I, I think I think to do my job, to do what I'm asked to do down here, I got to kind of do both, you know, so that's the beauty of I get to still kind of keep that offensive mindset and looking at what other people are trying to do and also doing some self-scout, you know, like what would, what would I call if I were running an offense? What would I do against this, you know, based on what we do? So it's a, uh, it's a good kind of uh, yin to the yang and keeps things offset here.
2: So Mississippi State is entering the third season in the 335 and um SDSU, that's usually the year that that they talk about everything clicking. Um are, are you seeing signs of that or did that covid season maybe uh change the learning curve like it did for everything else in society? No, I mean I,
1: I think and, and and I'll give, you know, I'll give our our players all a ton of credit cuz I think they're we got we got guys that love football down here, you know, and I I really enjoyed my time here but you know, just hit a year being down here in Mississippi. And, it's, we, we got guys that absolutely love playing the game and it fits what they want to do. You know, they, they don't want to, you know, don't want to be able to complicated with stuff. They just want to fly around and they're locked into our system. You know I mean? We got, we got players that will be three-year starters, you know, uh, a corner and a guy was a freshman American in his first, uh, in his first season, you know, is, is in, in the system and, you know, is going into his third year where, like you said, you know, you're, you're going to hit your stride. You know, we got, we got some guys that have been in the system playing SEC football for three years and. I'm really excited to see them cut it loose, you know, and I think they finally are gonna feel, you know, they're you get in the third year of a system too, and you can kind of give feedback. You know, these guys that they've been in the system long enough that there's a there's a give and take in the, in the coaching side, you know. I think they they know what Coach Arnett's calling at times too. So it's uh it's really cool to see those guys that have, have kind of stepped up and taken that leadership role. And I know they're uh they're chomping at the bit to to keep working this summer and, and cut it loose next fall.
2: 12,690 yards. 90 touchdowns. Still wondering, you know, you got to probably fit in 10 more somewhere to get that 100, you know? But um, as a QB at San Diego State, but potentially, man, like your biggest contribution came in, you know, leading that resurrection of the program. Um, You already kind of were going to, you know, show some of that modesty about being in the right place at the right time. But following your freshman year, one of the best local media people like had the opinion that state should close down their football program. And to go from that low to the high of opening up a new stadium, um, how much pride do you take in, in, in leading and helping to like cement that trajectory?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just always kind of looked at it as, I, di- I didn't know where my career was going to end off. I just, you know, you want to leave, you want to leave things in a better place than you find them, you know? And I don't think, it, I don't think many of us could have, could have envisioned how, how high it got, you know, by the time we got out of there. And I, and I really do. I, I continue to harp on this because it doesn't you know i had got miles burris and i even i mentioned all the guys on offense i came in with some phenomenal guys on defense too that just wanted to work wanted to build a program and you know obviously there's 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 selfish ambitions there too you know we're all we're all human but uh, you know just just some guys that just decided hey you know let's let's grab this thing by the horns and Nobody, nobody wants to be a punching bag. Nobody wants to be the, you know, the butt of a joke or be in the newspaper talking about, you know, why are we even, why are we even taking up school funding and all that stuff? I mean, we, that wasn't lost on anybody, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily the time of social media, but we still, you know, we got the printed paper and we looked at it, you know, and that wasn't, that wasn't lost on us as as 19, 20 year old kids at the time. So, in a lot of ways, I look back at it and it was motivation, you know, and, and everything in moderation taken like that can be good for you. So it definitely, uh, amongst other things, was was a part of the fuel to the fire. And uh, obviously, you know, like I said, it really was. though. I mean, Coach Hoke came in there and uh, the timing of it was phenomenal. Um, the thing, the things that he preached as far as accountability went, you know, brotherhood, uh, everything that's kind of submitted everything. And, and, you know, Coach Long took took off with it and put his own spin on it. it was phenomenal for for quite a long time. And, you know, it's 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 good to see Brady back and and kind of you know that you know that uh he's a guy. He's gonna be there for the long haul. You know, and I think that it's uh it's the beauty of Aztec football and really Aztec Aztec athletics. I mean you you're that's a that's a family that uh that is uh is the second to none.
0: What well, what's the stadium gonna mean to the city of San Diego? You know, with with this thing opening up September third as a as a San Diego kid, what is it going to mean to the city?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's something special that, uh, you know, I, I just talking to a few of the coaches there, it's, you know, it's, they, they've taken some tours. I said, shoot, if I, if I get back for vacation this summer, I got to figure out a way to, to go check, uh, check out Snapdragon. But, um, I, I think it's just, it's just something really cool, you know, cause you talk about the, the, the lean years, you know, when I first got there and I'm sure that the guys before me too, you know, everybody, everybody talks about the sky show and that was great every year, but Nobody talks about playing in November with with fifteen thousand people in Qualcomm, you know, and that wasn't uh, that wasn't the best feeling running out of the tunnel. Now I can flip it up and say, you know, we playing the Point Stadium Bowl in two thousand ten or fifty something, you know, and that was one of the greatest feelings in the world. So I think it's going to be so awesome seeing that you kind of get that Viejas feel, you know, you kind of get that 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 feel that the basketball teams had for so long. Of you know, I know people may say, hey, we need a we need fifty thousand or we I mean, need fifty five thousand, whatever it is, but I mean, if you got a 40000 seat stadium. And you, I mean, you gotta you gotta have your ticket to get there and show up, you know. I think there's an exclusivity to it that's gonna be phenomenal. Uh the atmosphere, just from looking at everything, it looks like it's gonna be, you know, top of the line, state of the art, really just fits the vibe too. You know, I think if if you look at it, Southern California, there's gonna be a lot of fun things to do there. Um, I think it's gonna be a family environment, which which is something you could argue was lacking at Qualcomm. You know, I mean, there's there's I got two seats sitting at my parents' house and I'm all about the nostalgia. I watched, I watched Tony Gwynn and I watch Ricky and I watched I watched the 98 Padres and that's, you know, Qualcomm and the Murph hold a special place in my heart. But I think this is, you know, a place that the Aztecs can call home. Um, And all that was great. But this will be uh, this will be the Aztecs home for years to come. And, you know, San Diego State fans and and alumni and players can take pride in that for a long time.
0: Last uh, football related question, uh, NIL. NIL is a hot topic, right? And uh, a lot of coaches have a lot of opinions on it. Um, I think before we hopped on here, I read about Nick Saban was quoted in an article talking about it, you know, as a former college football <laughs> player and now a college coach, what, what is your take on how NIL and what NIL was supposed to be, what it's become and where it potentially could go.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, my, my quick take on it, you know, I mean, I do without going, go to going to soundbitey, Like I just think it's, you know, it's the market. Like I, I think the market will even itself out. Um, we're seeing it's, it's novel, you know, I don't, I don't want to be overcritical of anybody because it's something new. There's there's no there's no way to really prepare for some some of the things you were going to hit. It was just going to be trial by fire on some levels, and you know I, I think coaches knew. I think uh, alumni knew some of the negative things that have come up or things that have been insinuated by some schools. Cause I mean, that's the reality of the business. It's just things that have been going on. I think for a long time under the table, it's now, it's now out in plain sight, you know, and there's a, there's benefits to that. And I think it's, I think it's benefited a lot of the players and I think the positives are outweighing the negatives. Um, And it's going to take a, you know, a year or two or whether somebody needs to step in, but it'll, it'll regulate itself out or, uh, we'll find a way to to kind of look past all the, the the bumps in the road. It'll be a it'll be a smooth smooth thing. And I do think it was necessary. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of ways that you look at guys that should have been able to uh, to you know gain gain uh, gain financial uh, contract. Con, you know, should, should have should have been gaining off their likeness. You know, you yeah. mentioned Ronnie Hillman's guys, and yeah, you know what? I mean, people wearing Ronnie Hillman He should have he should have been getting a cut of that. You know, and and uh, and I respect that. And I just you know. We'll uh, we'll see how it evens itself out here.
0: Um, you ready for some rapid fire non football related questions? All right, go for it. What's your favorite food? Oh, Mexican food. Uh, any particular uh, taco shop or restaurant?
1: Man, uh, I mean, we're on a standing of state podcast, so I would feel I would feel sacrilegious not to say like a Trujillos, right? But I do probably have I do probably have a couple places. Uh, there's a ceritas in uh, Lemon, like Lemon Grove, La Mesa is my breakfast burrito spot back home. Gosh, I mean, I could just like, I'm a good old El Indio guy for just some some chips and, and salsa. I mean, I, I don't know, I could I could probably just like, I usually if people visit San Diego, I give them like a laundry list of hey, if you're looking for a burrito, it's this, if you you know, yeah. yeah. So uh, so I'm I'm I mix it up, but, but as you say, a good. And I, I should say, I should pat myself on the back. I think I do make some some mean fajitas at home. So that's... There you, uh, go. There you go. Yeah, no, that's my only fix. That's why I say yeah. I think I'm getting better <laughs> here. So that's... that's uh, that. And we finally got a Chipotle in Starkville. So that... There uh,
2: you go.
0: There you
1: go. The, the, the Lindley house, the Lindley house of chicken fajitas and, uh, and <laughs> Chipotle are as good as it gets.
0: <laughs> what about favorite movie or TV show?
1: Oh, man. Uh i was like I, I, I just watched it again so i like a i was a big seinfeld guy curve i think those are both pretty funny movie i don't know i mean i, I have a lot of them but i don't know if i could say like <clears throat> say specifically one
0: what about favorite musical artist or group probably metallica
1: yeah i uh saw him in concert one time it was phenomenal in cleveland and yeah, no better place to see it too, or the Rock and Roll all-famous. Fame. But uh, I'm and I'm like I'm kind of an anything guy, but that's uh, that's kind of been one that's that's held on over the years.
0: What about favorite hobby outside of football? Obviously, outside of football.
1: I mean, now it's it's probably. Uh, I mean, now I, I I kind of like being a dad. You know, I, and I, if my wife hears this, she'll she'll say I don't spend enough time being a dad. But.
2: Uh,
1: <laughs> um, that's really, I mean, it's been really special for me. Um, but like hobby, hobby, I guess, probably, yeah, probably golf, you know, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm turning into a real dad here. It's it's golf grilling and hanging out with my son. So it's it's about
2: nice. it. Yeah. I mean, so tell me a little bit more about, about, you know, being a dad. I mean, what, what has that experience been like? I mean, you've always been like a reflective person, at least, you know, that's like your public persona. I mean, just what, what does that meant to you to be able to, to kind of take that next step in, you know, our human development?
1: Yeah, no, I mean it's it's uh it's it's wild. It's just like you know, you know, you ask you ask a bunch of guys. Like actually, like Vince, like Vincent Brown was a guy. He had he had his first his first child. Like I think maybe you know like nine months before me. So it was like, hey man, you know what? What am I getting into? <clears throat> you know, obviously, so many. As everybody, as everybody knows, every dad knows. Listening, it's like there's so many, so many questions and so many, so many things you worry about and rack your brain about. And, uh, I'll tell you this, my dad, my dad gave me, my mom and dad gave me the best advice, which was, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna love him to death and that's all you need to do, you know? And, and that's really, cause I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure I screw up enough and my wife lets me know about plenty of that, but, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's just been, you know, it's, it's something special and it, it does. I mean, I think everything else in your life kind of, kind of gets put into, into a much greater perspective once you, once you get to that
0: point. And last one, what do you miss most about San Diego and you can't say Mexican food.
1: Shoot. Sure. I mean, like the far the longer I get away, probably family. You know, my my mom's one of five girls and all my cousins, aunts and uncles, everybody's Huntington Beach is as far as somebody's away. So that was that was really cool growing up there. Outside of that, probably probably the beach, man. I mean, I think that's the number one thing. Every time I, I moved away for a couple of years and then came back, it was like <laughs> you just forget how, how much you take advantage of being, you know, whatever it is, 15, 45 minutes away from Putting your toes in the sand and getting in the water, so that's definitely the one right now. That whenever I get back, that's that's one of the first places I want to go is hit the beach.
0: When's the last time you were in San Diego? Uh,
1: I came back last summer. You know, we we try and uh, my wife's from New York uh, and I'm from San Diego, so it's it's becoming a uh, it's becoming kind of our our normal summer trip to yeah. hit both coasts and now see grandparents and and uh, and have a good time. So I'm sure I'll figure out some time in uh, in the summer here coming up to, to get back up there.
0: Awesome. Those are your rapid fire questions. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, I don't
1: know. I, I, I probably cheated and took much, too much time
0: to uh, <laughs> answer Well, we asked some follow-up questions. so I'll,
1: I'll, blame, I'll blame it on, yeah, I'll blame it on my, whether, whether I, I probably wasn't that smart to begin with, but I could blame it on getting hit a few times.
0: <laughs> uh, th- thank you so much, Ryan, for joining us. It was great catching up with you. Um, I know a lot of Aztec fans will be uh, rooting on Mississippi State in the fall, in addition to San Diego State, obviously. So, uh, it was great catching up with you. Thank you for joining us.
1: No, no doubt. I was saying, all, and I'll always, until our pass cross again, I'll Always, I'll always be rooting for the Aztecs, but uh, I, I appreciate that. We always, we could always use the support and hail state
0: out here in Mississippi. Great. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Our second special guest today is cornerback Noah Tumblin. Tumblin, the former Mira Mesa High dual threat quarterback, turned cornerback at San Diego State played a great sophomore season last year collecting 32 tackles and 7 pass breakups. He will look to enter his junior season as one of the two starters at cornerback on the San Diego State vaunted 335 defense. We want to welcome Noah Tumlin to the podcast today. How are you doing today, Noah?
3: I'm good. I'm doing good.
0: So uh, talking about last year, you know, you started some games at cornerback. You played a lot, you know, rotating with uh, the other Noah uh, Avenger and Dallas Branch opposite Taylor Hawkins. Uh, How would you assess uh, individually your play last season?
3: Um, I thought I did all right for my uh, first time um, playing defense in college. Um, I thought I did some good things. I thought I did some poor things as well. Uh, And it just leaves me with a lot of room to grow for next season.
0: Now, as as I mentioned, you played opposite Taylor Hawkins. Taylor Hawkins has obviously graduated and moved on uh, looking for a professional career. Uh, What what did you learn being around him for the last couple of years?
3: Well, mainly this year I spent the most time with him because my first year I didn't play at all. And then my second year I was just on special teams and he didn't really talk to me that much. But this year I was uh, he's my roommate. So we became really close and him being older. He was kind of like like an older brother to me. And he just really, like, taught me how to, like, mentally prepare before a game and how much he, like, cared for the game because that's really all he had is ball. And I just learned a lot from him. And he just honestly changed me as a player. Uh, he gave me, like, a really, like, dog mentality because that's how he plays. I really want to play like, play like him uh, moving forward.
0: So you're saying Taylor Hawkins doesn't talk to anybody in the, sec- in the special teams? <laughs> Well, I mean, I was younger. He's a little
3: bit older. He's uh, three years older than me, so he was kind of talking to the older guys. He wasn't really yeah. talking to me too much and so yeah. I started playing, obviously.
0: Just joking. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> um, so, obviously, Taylor and Trenton Thompson, they provided a lot of leadership in the secondary last year. There was a lot of new starters getting their first time going in and playing, like you were mentioning with yourself. So, who steps up? And takes kind of that reign as, as that leadership role amongst the secondary this year.
3: Uh, this year I would probably put it on a uh, Cedarius. He did a little bit of it last year. And I think him being the uh, oldest DB uh, he's more the guy who talks during practice and stuff. Me personally, I just try to do my job and lead by example, but I'll definitely say him. And also Pat would also be another leader as well. Him and Pat.
2: And so then uh, looking at spring camp, not just for yourself, but the entire secondary Um, How how do you guys feel like you you did as you guys are kind of getting a few new pieces? um, How was spring ball for the secondary?
3: Um, I thought the uh, secondary did a pretty good job. I thought we uh, picked up where we left off uh, starters-wise when it came to me. uh, Pat, Sed, CJ, uh, Kyron played a little bit. And, um, yeah, I thought we – secondary, I
0: thought we looked good. Uh, Was there a particular player in the secondary that, like, you could say impressed you the most? Uh, Dez Malone, actually the corner, another corner.
3: He uh took the other starting spot with uh Dallas and Noagon. and I thought he had a really good uh, spring. He made it a lot of plays, and um, I definitely say him for sure.
0: Could you uh kind of elaborating on that? Can you give us a scouting report on some of the o- other corners starting with uh, with Des? Like, what is it about him that's in, can make him a great corner? Uh, he yeah,
3: has just very uh he's very disciplined. He's played the position a lot, so he has good footwork. Uh, he's very fundamentally sound, and uh, he makes good plays on the ball. And then what about Dallas Branch? Dallas, out of all of us, I'd say Dallas probably has the best footwork. He's very technical, has very good breaks, and, yeah, he's a very, very uh, fundamental guy.
0: Uh, Noah Uh I would say he's
3: kind of like me. We're, like, very, like, athletic guys. Like, he's real bouncy. He has good speed like me. So that's where I think we have similar in common. Is that
0: a Noah thing?
3: Uh, I guess so. I don't know. It just happened to be that way. Very uh, coincidental. What about Jelani Whitmore? Uh, I would say he's kind of like Noah and me. He's very uh, athletic as well. He's long like me, so he can kind of get away with, like, not being the greatest position because he has, like, longer arms and stuff.
0: And then last, uh, Adonis Brown. Adonis,
3: he's the older guy, so he's played a lot, so he just knows the position very well. He's a very savvy player. He has a chip on his shoulder, and uh, he makes a lot of plays as well.
2: The person everybody's wondering about, just because he's new to the position, man, is uh, Jalen Maiden. Could you tell us about his transition um, and coming over? And, you know, he, he he mentioned to me that he would, like, do things that everybody else in the secondary would be like, why are you doing it like that? And he's like, because I've never played the position before.
3: Yeah, definitely making some, like, beginner mistakes. But, honestly, in my opinion, I thought he he's adjusting very well. Like, for me, it took me a, um, a couple seasons. But for him, I think toward the end of the spring, he looked like, He's been in the position uh, a long time. He got a lot of interceptions and in the position he plays, he kind of has like the ability to like kind of like free range. So I think that helps out as well coming from
2: quarterback. So then when you're going to your, I guess, evaluation of the other side of the ball, which wide receiver just do you geek out on being able to cover in practice? Every
3: time I just want to call uh guard Tyrell, he's the, you he, like his, his releases are insane. And I know, That when I guard him, I'm getting good work and getting better. So I really don't care how many times he does me because I want that work. So anybody's Tyrell. And then a close second would definitely be Jesse because, like, he just makes the most freakish catches. Like, I'll be guarding him. I'll have him covered. and He'll just make a crazy catch. So I'd have to say him, too.
0: We've heard a lot of great things about T.J. Sullivan uh, through spring camp. What's it like going up against T.J.? He is just a
3: fast guy, so you know he's just one. going to want to beat you deep, so you just got to be ready to get out on him. She definitely probably is the fastest one, him and Nicholson. Who's the fastest corner on the team? Fastest corner? We got a race, honestly. I Honestly, I'm going to say me, to be honest. I, I'll just say me or Dallas, one of us. Me
0: or Dallas. So you, you're you from Mira Mesa High School, hometown here, yeah. uh, but you've never played a college football game in San Diego. How excited are you yeah. for the first game? I'm
3: actually really excited. Everybody's been hitting me up and telling me how excited they are to come watch me in the new stadium. I'm just looking forward to it, especially for my parents, because it was kind of hard for them to make it up there to the games last year. And now they can come to all the games. My brother, too. So really looking forward to it, definitely.
2: Andrew just mentioned that uh hometown guy from Mira Mesa High. But you're not the only Aztec who played QB at Mira Mesa High. JR Tolver. He also played there. So just you know, let's let's get it on the record. Who was the best Mira Mesa QB?
3: I was the best Mira Mesa QB, hands down. I definitely had more electric plays. We had a, I think we had a better record. I don't know. I don't even think they went to Say We only three teams went to Say and my team was the third. So I definitely have to say me. He's a close second, though. Close second, close second. Yeah.
2: I don't know, man. You started with hands down. You're kind of backpedaling a little bit. Okay. Well, back, I mean, though. nobody
3: else is close, is what I'm saying. So <laughs> you obviously have to be second. <laughs>
2: Fair enough. Um, was there any consideration for you to play that position at SDSU?
3: Uh, no. When, honestly, when they were straight up with me. When I went on my visit, they were just like, we only had a scholarship avail- available for corner. And the only other offer I had was BYU. And, and honestly, I love San Diego too much. So I was like, BYU or stay home and play DB. And I was like, stay home and play DB. I don't care. So I told them, I was like, yep, I'll play corner. Just did you really play,
0: play? Did you also play corner at Mira Mesa High or were you strictly offense? Uh, I never played defense at all in high school.
2: So then, I mean that—that's the lead into the next question. Um, actually, back up a little bit. Um, that is a great San Diego answer about BYU. It was hard though
3: because my teammate went through in the same class as me, so I, I was kind of close to going there with him. But
2: San Diego, overall, day. no doubt. Um, so, what's been the most challenging part of of being able to switch positions and and play it at the high level that you played at?
3: Probably just like the technique because like at first I didn't know how to backpedal or like how to press and I didn't really know what cover two or cover four was like from a defensive uh position. So just learning all that my first year like knowing where to be. I just had to really work hard in the offseason really and like learn all the like fundamentals and stuff. Surprisingly the easiest part was tackling like I think that part was the easiest just tackling. Everything else was hard. Tackling was the easiest part for me.
0: You know, the first question we asked you about how you would assess your play last year, and you talked a little bit about the ups and downs. Uh, What are you specifically looking to improve on individually this offseason going into next year? I want to get some picks. Like, I always, I feel like I'm in a good position, but, like, I just haven't made enough plays on the ball.
3: So my goal next year is get my hand on the ball and get some picks. Like, that's all I want, get some picks.
0: Is there a uh, cornerback or secondary competition of who's going to get the most picks? Um, I want to say so I feel like in our group we're all really like good friends and we're very like
3: uh, humble and I feel like none of us really like try to like do that kind of stuff but
0: we definitely are competitive but none of us like like try to make bets and stuff like that we just try to like get better uh your cornerback coach Demetrius Sumlin not a lot of people know too much about him uh what can you tell us about him um like what is he as a position, position coach and just as a as a, player, as a person
3: uh, he's a San Diego guy, you know, he played running back at a cathedral. So we're kind of similar in those ways. Uh, I, I like him as a coach. I think he's a very real and upfront guy. And I think he actually cares for his players. Like when we all had COVID at my house, like he brought us food and stuff like that. So he definitely cares about us outside of football as well, as well. He's just like a real coach. Like, he knows, it's like we're in college and we have fun and stuff, but he always tells us, you know, just keep your head on straight and just make sure you take care of the things that are important and know why you're here. So I think I definitely think he's a good coach. I think he knows what he's doing.
2: So you mentioned that you want to get more picks. Is, is there like particular things that you can do in the off season to, I mean, like that you can be focusing on other drills? I mean, how does that work to, to to work on making those plays that aren't going to be coming until, you know, the fall? Well, I well personally, I could just think of two
3: plays where I just dropped picks. So just man, just working on catching the ball. And then I think I kind of hesitate a little out of my breaks. Like, I am don't want to, like, over-pursuit the play. Like, even against Nevada, I could have picked that off, too. I just think I think about it a little bit too much. So, I think it's kind of a mental thing when it comes to the picks, um, less than, like, fundamentals.
2: A lot of talented, highly recruited players like yourself um, come to play cornerback at SDSU. What is it about the way that the um, coaches, the system, that they let you all play that makes it so attractive? I just think when you get there,
3: it's really like a defensive school. Like, when you get there, you just know. Like, especially if you're defensive guy you know it's the heart and soul, of the Aztecs. And, like, that's just, like, what everybody wants to, like, be a part of. And you, you've seen us produce, like, uh, DBs that go to the league. Like, my every corner that I've uh, uh – that's been here since I've been here has gone to the league. Luke Barku went to the league, then Darren went to the league, then Taylor went to the league. And you got uh Trent and Tariq and Dwayne that all went as safeties. So DVs alone, you see that, you know you want to do that as well. And I think that's why people want to come here and play.
2: Great. Uh, so that was my uh the last like football-related question. Got some non-football related rapid fire ones. You ready? Okay. All right, Samantha, so, so what's your favorite food? Uh chicken alfredo. And where, where, where did you get this chicken alfredo?
3: Uh, I mean my mom makes it really good, but if I had to go to like a professional place, I'll
2: go to Buco de Pepo. Okay, no, I'm not trying to put you on the spot or nothing, but Buco or your mom's man. Buca. Okay, sure. okay, okay. I just can't you know, out. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh mom's just your- free. <laughs> uh movie or TV show?
3: Uh TV show. Which one would that be? Uh my favorite TV show. What's my favorite TV- I got a lot of TV shows. Dude, I'll just say Snowfall. Right now, Snowfall. That's my favorite TV show. Right now.
0: Nice. I I love Snowfall.
2: Uh, how about your favorite music artist or group?
3: Uh, favorite music artist, Gunna.
0: Uh, I want to say have a group. I was gonna. Say, somebody said well, the last interview we did. I think somebody said Gunna. It's been a popular one for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he's, he's not. He's not doing too good legally right now. But yeah, he's not. Yeah. He's definitely okay. a good rapper, though.
2: So you hear that, kids who are listening. It's just the music. It's just the music. It's the music, Yeah, that's it. <laughs> what were your favorite professional athlete either? Currently. Kobe. Um, Kobe.
3: Kobe. Yeah. Kobe. My middle name is actually his last name. Noah Bryant something. I almost was named Kobe, but my mom was out of it. So my dad got the middle name, Brian. <laughs>
2: uh-huh.
3: Why Kobe. wasn't Kobe the middle name? I actually, I don't know that one, but I actually like it better than Noah Bryant. I feel
2: like Noah Kobe's like two first names. Maybe. Yeah,
0: that's true.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, so I mean, what, what is it about Kobe, other than the fact that uh, you carry his name, that that you you find about his his life, his 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 game that you know? Not- I mean, growing up, he's just, my dad always like kind of put him
3: on me, but then like as I got older, I I just liked his mentality, his work ethic, and like the message he was like putting out there to the people. And I, he was like the only guy I kind of like fanboyed over. Like I'm not one of those people who fanboy over celebrities, but he'd probably be the only person that I would actually like want to meet like if I got somewhere. Um how about something that you enjoy doing, a hobby outside of uh getting ready to get more picks next year? Hiking with my friends. Oh, where do you go hiking at? I've been everywhere, like Black Mountain, uh Cows, Iron mine Mount Woodson, and then I've been like out far, like in um Julian and, like, Kui uh, Maka, like, out there and stuff. Awesome. Yeah, that island
2: that's right there on Kui Maka?
3: Yeah, yeah. Cool? I just like being outdoors and the scenery. is cool.
0: Very that's, peaceful. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Those are the wrap of our questions, man. That was a great interview. Great job. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you guys for having me again. Thank you. And we look forward to seeing you out in the fall at the new stadium. Uh, yep. Getting your picks as we talked about. Yep, remember, I you first. Paul, we had uh, two great interviews, one with uh, Ryan Lindley and uh, the other with Noah Tumblin. Uh, what were your thoughts on our uh, discussions with
2: both of them? Well, to start, I thought they were perfect to be on the same podcast episode. As you know, I, I made mention in the article that I wrote on um, on Ryan Lindley, there's so much of his legacy, Lindley's legacy, that tumblin is living in if things had gone a different route it's possible that tumblin doesn't have that offer and he's playing for byu right now that kind of um i guess synergy that that sort of the how those complemented each other i think really um, highlights the story for both of them because the, you know they're both great san diego san diegans and um, both of them love San Diego state and both of them are, are doing the same work as far as, you know, being quarterbacks in San Diego then going on to be Aztecs. And so I just thought that they complement each other and, you know, it worked out really well that the, the, that theme, you know, could be in the episode.
0: Yeah. You know, Ryan Lindley, I'm not a native San Diegan as, as, You know, you know, and our listeners know I didn't move to San Diego until fall of 99. I went to that other school in San Diego. You know, I didn't go to San Diego State to get my MBA until the 2020, 2010. So my first season as a football season ticket holder was that season, the big season, the turnaround season where they went to the poinsettia bowl and won. So so it wasn't
2: Lindley. It was you.
0: Yeah. And, and is that I what also, you're telling us? Is that what I you also say? like to say that my first year in the NBA program was also the same year with Kawhi when they went to the sweet 16 and my first year as a basketball season ticket holder was the year that Xavier Thames led the team to the sweet 16. So there are some, you know, things yeah. that I can, po- I can point to and be like, you know, I, I played a part in that, but no, no question. No question. But that I just, I just remember that team, how balanced they were and how they good they were offensively. You know, obviously Ronnie Hillman was was, was really good and he went on and played it for the Broncos in the NFL. But like I remember those just, just the bombs they would throw to Vincent Brown and and DeMarco Sampson and and how fun it was to see a team that just put up a ton of points offensively and and uh I mean passing wise and rushing wise. And you know he kind of mentioned that since then it's been more like RBU, right. A lot of running, a lot of running and play action. So it'll be interesting to see, to see if they can get back to that balance passing attack where they do have a quarterback that can drop back and throw, you know, 35 yards down the field and have receivers catch it. So that, that interview just kind of got me nostalgic and reminded me of that season and, and
2: uh, how good they were overall. Absolutely. And there was, there was, um, You know, that that whole time, those last couple of years, um, his junior and his senior year, there were a lot of really, really fun games, you know. Um, I think his senior year, there was a game, um, there was one of the Sky Show games against Washington State. And I think it was, you know, it was a a real, you know, they they played Washington State, who wasn't a great Pac-12 team. State didn't beat those teams then, you know. Um, and I, 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 think it was, uh, one of the very first few plays of the game, Washington state hit a very, like a short pass that went the distance and it was like, okay, well, here we go all, you know, that nine win season and all that kind of stuff. And man, that offense was just so dynamic that day. They did whatever they wanted, um, put up over 30 points and things like that. But, you know, I, I just think that it's, it's, and this is the argument that I was trying to make about that, about those teams in the article that I wrote is, is you know, there have been skill position players who have gone on to become NFL players since Ryan Lindley's era, right? I mean, obviously, you, you mentioned Ronnie Hillman, Vincent Brown was a third round pick, Kevin Escobar was a second round pick. You mentioned Demarco Sampson, he played in the league. And um, I think you but you go down the list, and there were there were there has been receivers who have played in the NFL tight ends, obviously, who played in the NFL. But being able to have a quarterback who can actually, you know, consistently get him the ball at the right times and 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 it just makes a world of difference. And I think that as um, they were establishing that foundation, Lindley allowed them to be good quicker than I think they would have been if they were trying to solidify that position as well. And then and then turning to Tumbling, you know, I, I think that that it's an exciting place because I, I don't think it's appreciated enough um, how new to the position he is. The, the idea that, that he's gonna, that those, you know, I think what 14 games or whatever that, that he's played in um, are the only 14 games that he's played on defense in his life. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, you count a couple of scrimmages or, and then obviously practice, but I mean, as far as real games, he's incredibly new to the position and for him to be as new to the position as he is and to have really good moments. Right. Um, and, and for him to be able to, throughout the whole year in practice, at least, you know, solidify that starting role by and large. And, you know, the, he, he had, he had trouble on 50, 50 balls towards the end of the year. And I you don't know, obviously need to improve in that a ton, but I think it, it's, it's an encouraging place for the, for his ceiling of, of what he can actually be and, and, you know, potentially be next in line uh, as, as another like San Diego state cornerback.
0: Yeah, it is. As I was researching, just got, as, after we talked to him and I researched kind of, you know, the snaps he had had in college, it was kind of remarkable that last year was his first real snaps on defense ever, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe he played defense in peewee football or something, but <laughs> no high school, no college and, Pretty remarkable how he played given that. And that shows that that's a testament to his, you know, work ethic and also the coach's job in, in getting him prepared. You know, he obviously said he did some good, good things and some poor things that he's looking to improve on uh, fundamentally technique. He obviously wants to make interceptions, um, catch the ball. He's talked about how, you know, he thought it was more of a mental thing uh, that he was over not trying to over pursue playing a little bit more safe and not making, you know, the break on the ball where he could have, you know, and that's how great cornerbacks, they teeter that line of not being, not over pursuing and getting out of position, but also having those instincts where they can, they see it, they they break and they make the play. So uh, I'll be interested to see how he, how that develops, how that comes along for him uh, this year. Um, Cause he's going to play, he's going to play a lot, right? It's between him Branch, Avenger and then uh, Dej Malone, you know, those four guys are going to be the primary guys who are going to get snaps at corner. Uh, so everyone, all of them are going to have opportunities to
2: to show what they can do. Yeah. And, and I think just piggybacking on the first comment about him having confidence and, and, and playing it a little bit too safe, et cetera. I think it very much echoes um, what coach Hoke was saying throughout the year about his corners. And the issues that they were having and that they, they weren't being as aggressive when the ball was in the air and they weren't being as aggressive going and, and fighting. And so I think that's a great sign that how many ever months later he's internalized that. And that's the thing that he's paying attention to. I think it's exciting the, all of the corners that, that you mentioned um, Des Malone to be able to, I mean, what, what do we, what do you know about him? He's a safety who, they saw that he had great cover skills. Um, Coach Maddox on the podcast mentioned him as, uh, and I, I honestly, when he mentioned him, it, it sounded like it was just more like a theoretical, like, oh, hey, this guy is pretty good at being a cover guy. Let's throw him over there. But then he's listed first on the depth chart. You know, that, that's, it, That's it's, it's just, it's interesting. It's an interesting um, mix that they have that competition, I think should make every, ev- all of them better. I think that that they have the potential to be as good as they were last year.
0: I also thought
2: his comments on Jalen Maiden
0: were really were promising, right? Talking about how he was making beginner mistakes. But by the end of spring camp, it looked like he had been playing that position uh for years. So that that gives I think that gives Aztecs hope Aztec fans some hope that he may not be a starter, but Maiden can come in and fill in and, and, and fill a role for the team. You know, that transition, we saw him early in spring and he wasn't doing that well, but by the end of spring, I think he could put, definitely fortify himself a, a playing time. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention last point for me, illegal stemming, right? <laughs> we asked him about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I look back. I had to go back and look at the the rule book and try to figure out exactly what it says, right? Because I remember that play. Sure. And I remember also being like, "What in the world is did they call?" App- apparently, it's like a delay of game, right? It's when a defensive player it faints. This is how the rule book defines it: the faints towards the line of scrimmage in an obvious attempt to induce a false start by the offense. Ruling is a dead ball foul. It's actually a delay of game. So, technically, the rule, the penalty should have been delay of game, not illegal stemming, although illegal stemming is what the player was doing, but still an odd rule. Never gets called.
2: No, and, and in the especially game. back then. I mean, they have that flinching thing now where if the defense jumps across, you know, and draws the, but that I don't think it was the rule then. Yeah. I vaguely remember that they were talking about that, you know, the San Diego state players were simulating the snap, which. Yeah. There's so much noise in a football game. It, it was, it was, um, it was a made for TV call. It was, they, they, they had to keep the, the drama high. I thought it was just, you know, pretty funny him, him being able to revisit that all those years later and, and, and still say you're never going to find it. Cause it's, it's just, there's no, <laughs> there's no good explanation for what took place. I, going back to, to, Jalen made, and I think those comments were exciting. I think that it helps to explain a little bit, um, Kyron White and his transition over to warrior safety because you know, you're you're not, you don't, I mean, you don't want obviously in your best defender, Patrick McMorris, you, you're not expecting him to get hurt, you're not doing that. But hey, who knows what happens? I mean, he missed a half a game because of targeting last year. And the fact that you would feel comfortable enough to be able to move white off of that Aztec position to the warrior safety, I think bodes well, even though Maiden's only he's third, you know, he's listed third at that spot. And then I think the, the other thing about the defense that that I think was uh, a good thing is just talking about the, the, where that leadership is going to come from and that that's going to see that from you know mcmorris and 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 um so barfield and i think that's a really under valued aspect of um the defense you know there there's been a, there was some criticism that's been kind of piled on to like taylor hawkins for you know some of the jawing and stuff like that but um san diego state they they, they play with They always play kind of, they talk about playing with an edge and, and sometimes that edge, the way it looks on the field is, is being a little bit aggressive is, is being a little bit like you're challenging them to get a player like Tumblin to go from being passive to being aggressive in those passing lanes. It it might take some of those older guys stepping up and saying, this is how, this is our identity. We're continuing the Aztec way. We're, 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 we're going to attack you. We're going to be aggressive. We, we want you to give us your best shot." that kind of thing. Um, and so I think that, that they are some people that he obviously said like this, these are the guys who are being vocal right now. You know, I think that that just another example of how the coaching staff, um, and the senior led mantra and philosophy, you know, pays off, Each year, um, because a a next group of leaders is expected to step up.
0: We've talked a lot about how young and inexperienced the offensive positions are. Uh, We haven't talked too much about it on defense because the linebackers and the defensive line are pretty experienced. But the but just looking at the corners and the set and the the safeties, that's a pretty young, inexperienced group as well. I think the, you know, the coaches, Kyle Hoke and some Demetrius somewhere have their work cut out for them, but they've got really talented guys uh, to be able to uh, plug them in and get them to do what they need to do. So I don't think necessarily it's going to be an issue because I think these guys can play. They've gotten enough playing time, and I think it's just a matter of gelling together, but it should be fun.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, I think that until one cornerback, is able to step up and be a star, you know, be what Hawkins was last year, be what, you know, Darren Hall was um, Luke Marku, you know, more, you know, even Darren Hall, even at that time, that, that, that corner that can kind of take away one side of the field, allow kind of that focal point to, to work to, to the other side. Um, I think that's going to continue to be a question. And but I will say I do think that given given Malone and Noah Avenger and Noah Tumlin, given their length, given their clear like speed and you know all that quick twitch stuff and all those kind of things, I do think that that they have a higher ceiling than Hawkins. I think they have a higher ceiling than and going back to again Barku and Hall. I think they're in that that kind of they have that kind of potential. And so if, 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 if that, if two of them, if two of them can step up and become those players this year, along with having Patrick McMorris, who looked just like another level, even in the brief time, I mean, just looks like a professional. There's just no other way to put it. You know, Barfield is able to, to hold down that slot position. And then you get another year of, of Baskerville, you know, you you could argue was the Aztecs best secondary player at the end of the year. And obviously Frisco Bowl MVP, it's not really going out on a limb. It, 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 it could go from kind of like what we saw with the linebackers last year, where the linebackers were thought of as being like maybe the weakest part of it. And then they turned into a really good, really, really good unit and they were one of the strengths. So I think there's that potential for the secondary this year.
0: Yep, absolutely. That's going to do it for us. Hope you guys enjoyed uh, this episode. Two great interviews uh, with uh, a former Aztec quarterback and a current cornerback. And um, thank you guys for listening. Hope you guys are sharing, liking, commenting uh, for each episode. Uh, We appreciate all the love, uh, and we'll talk to you guys next time. You are listening to the SDSU Football Podcast presented by the East Village Times with your hosts Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison.